Last Sunday morning, um, I spent preaching in Humboldt, Iowa. There's a small church there that blew up in the midst of some lack of support of the ministry, and uh, they called me to be their potential interim pastor. I have resisted that for four years. Since I retired in 2017 from Emmanuel Baptist Church in Duluth, I, uh, I have had multiple times of the conference calling me or a brother in Christ calling me and saying, Dave, we need you to come here. And I never felt appropriate. I never felt led to go to those churches. But for some reason, this call came. And as we just sang about, it's all about God's timing. And I pray that today could be a time for you to reflect upon your life and upon the things that are important in your faith. I'm very, very thankful that you're here this morning. And I mean that with all sincerity because, you see, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. And when they would have a guest pastor come to preach in the church, when, when our senior pastor would announce that he was going to be gone uh, the following Sunday, and they'd, they'd mention that a guest pastor was going to be coming, uh, I could see my father's mind click in. And he began to wonder now, would this be a good weekend to go see the grandparents in Mora? Or should we go to a Twins game? Or, you know, I wonder if the walleyes are biting up there by Alexandria. Obviously, I'm from Minnesota. So for you Packer fans, you're probably wondering, I wonder if the Packers are playing yet. No, not yet. But you see, it's one of those things about when you bring in a guest pastor, you wonder, can he, can he hold the attention of the congregation? And sometimes the pastors, when I grew up, were about as interesting as watching paint dry. And it just didn't fit. They told a lot of great stories, but there was no gospel. So I really do appreciate the fact that you're here this morning and you're willing to listen as the Spirit speaks to each one of us. I do want to tell you a personal story. When I was visitation pastor at Lakeview Covenant Church in Duluth, every Friday I would spend two to three hours visiting some of our senior residents in one of our local nursing homes. And that Friday afternoon visit that began with only two people eventually grew into about eight or ten uh, different visits. And one of the things that I came away with uh, as a visitation pastor was how often I would hear the same story, our pastor never comes to see us, or perhaps family. In fact, I had two administrators follow me to my car and thank me for coming to see the, the, the residents there. Well, one Friday, my wife Shirley was accompanying me on my visits, and we found ourselves seated at a round table, and three of our nursing home friends were there at that table. And out of the corner of my eye, I could see this sweet little frail lady wheeling her wheelchair up to my hand, and she reached out and she said, take me with you, I love you. I wasn't sure how to receive that because I've had a lot of different invitations, especially in nursing homes. But I looked at her and I said, but, but dear, this is your home. This is where you have your friends. The same command, take me with you. I love you. Well, by this time, my wife Shirley got into the conversation and she said, but, but you have to understand, he's my husband. He's already taken. Same thing. Take me with you. 
I love you. You know, when you think about sharing your faith with somebody, don't you wish it would be that easy? That someone would look at you after hearing your testimony of of what Jesus Christ has done in your life, and they'd say, take me with you. I love what's happened to you. The text that has already been read this morning tells a story of Jesus choosing his disciples. And if you were following along, you heard a couple of my favorite sub-heroes, men that really don't show up very often in the scriptures, Andrew and Philip. And Andrew was responsible for introducing his brother Simon Peter to Jesus, and Philip brought Nathaniel to the Savior. Now, if you do a little more reading, you're going to understand that Andrew is one of those behind-the-scene kind of guys. If you read about Andrew, you'll always find himself identifying as Simon Peter's brother. He never decided to escalate his position, but rather he would identify himself as Simon Peter's brother. And the next time we see Andrew is in John chapter 6, in the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. You remember that story? Jesus had been teaching, the Bible says. And in John chapter 6, verse 2, we read that a great multitude followed Jesus. And after Jesus had concluded his teaching, the scriptures say that he retreated with his disciples to a quiet place. Now, if I was in that position of teaching, I would probably want to go and lay my head down and take a quick little nap, but not Jesus. Jesus would continue to see the great multitudes that were there feeding on his every word, but they had a physical hunger as well. So Jesus asked Philip, where should we buy bread so that all of these might eat? Philip is a little beside himself. And his response is 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them would have a little. Imagine that. You probably realize from your study of the scriptures that a denarii was considered a day's wages. And so 200 denarii, 200 days worth of labor, was not sufficient to feed each one of them. But here comes Andrew. And Andrew sees this little boy who's got some loaves and fishes. And he comes to Jesus and he said, there's a lad here that has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they among so few or so many? I wonder sometimes if Andrew maybe had his doubts about what Jesus could do. But I, as I read that story, I begin to realize that Andrew had the kind of faith that I want to have. He didn't know what Jesus was going to do. But he knew that he had come to the right place to solve the problem. Let me ask you a personal question. As you have shared your testimony of what Christ has done for you, have you ever felt that somehow you were responsible for the outcome of your witness? You know, I have many times. As I've shared my faith, I've worked with a pastor, Pastor Don Pires. You might have remembered Pastor Don from Lakeview. But Don was an A to Z evangelist. He'd begin to share his testimony and lead him in the sinner's prayer before we broke, before we broke company. And I always wanted to do that, but I never seemed to be very successful. 
But here's one of the lessons that I learned from Andrew. It is not your job to save somebody. Your job is to bring them to Jesus. Take it from Andrew. Bring them to Jesus. And he will do the life changing. You know, Andrew shows up one more time in the Gospel of John, John chapter 12. John 12 is the record of the triumphant entry, or what we might call a Palm Sunday. And Jesus has just entered Jerusalem, and apparently his small entourage of people have really caused such a great stir. Because this is one of those stories that's found in all four of the Gospels. One of the stories that's found is, is in Matthew 21. And the Bible says that the whole city was moved and many were asking, who is this? But in John chapter 12, verse 20, we read, now there were certain Greeks among them who had come to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. (coughs) You know, so many of us grew up singing, Dare to be a Daniel. But this morning, I'd like to challenge the church of Jesus Christ to dare to be an Andrew. Why is this so important to me? What does it mean to Dave Mork? Well, to some degree, this is my story. It goes back to a a very cold November 10th, 1968 day. The Mork family had just gotten home from church and the phone was ringing. And typically in the Mork house, if your phone was ringing, it was for your father. But this time it was a little bit different. It was for me. And not only was it for me, but on the other end of that phone was Audrey Femright. Audrey Femright. A beautiful, slightly older woman who was calling to invite her friend Dave Mork to a, camp, or a crusade up in Alexandria, Minnesota. Now, I don't know if there's a 16-year-old boy alive that wouldn't accept an invitation from a beautiful young lady. And so, obviously, I went. And Audrey's invitation that day was the first of two invitations that I received. Audrey invited me to come with her. Jesus invited to take a cold stone heart out of my chest and replace it with a heart of flesh. And it was that day, 53 years ago, that faith became my personal story and Jesus became my personal Savior. So what does that look like? Bringing somebody to Jesus. Well, my first thought as I was reading and studying for this text was the four friends that are found in Mark chapter 2. Once again, Jesus has drawn a, a huge crowd And if you read that text, it says that there were so many people that these four friends who were carrying their invalid friend on a stretcher couldn't even get close to the door. And so what happens? Well, probably in today's culture, we might say, well, I guess the Lord didn't want him to get healed. There's too many people. We can't get through. Let's just go home. But you're not going to find those words in the scriptures No, what you're going to find are four friends who go to the roof and began to remove that roof piece by piece and lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And guess what? 
They brought their friend to Jesus. Jesus did the rest. Their friend walked out healed and whole, and the scriptures say, forgiven. How many of us, I'm afraid, would probably stop at that large crowd and just not want to go beyond that point? How many of us, when we share our faith, are sometimes fearful that someone might ask a question that we don't have an answer for? How many of us see an obstacle in the sharing of our faith and we quit? Maybe you feel somewhat like Moses, who felt that he had a a stiff tongue, a, a, a tied tongue, and he couldn't speak well. The answer, I believe, from Jesus' lips would be, stop it. Share what Jesus Christ has done in your life. Bring them to Jesus and allow him to do the work that he came to do. There's another way that we can bring others to Jesus, and that is found in in multiple Gospels. The first one we we saw, at least when I was studying, was John chapter 4. And here is where the nobleman comes and implores the Savior to come and heal his son. Or there's a centurion in Matthew chapter 8 that comes to Jesus on behalf of his servant. There's a grieving father who comes in Matthew 9 and shares that his daughter has just died. And there is the father who in Matthew 17 comes to Jesus on behalf of his son who is an epileptic. Saint, there's multiple stories in the scripture that tell of someone who has come to Jesus on behalf of someone else. And what was the result of that effort? Healing and ultimately a raising of the dead of a child. Now, can any of these Bible characters take credit for their action? Not one bit. But what do they do? They brought the ones that they loved to Jesus Christ. Not physically, but we could say in name, in relationship, and certainly in prayer. Now, what does it take to bring someone to Jesus? I think there's two very important words, love and faith. When you love somebody, don't you want the very best for them? Hallmark didn't coin that idea. Jesus did. Jesus asked the question in Matthew chapter 7, verse 9, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, how much would, would he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, all of us grew up learning John, uh, John 3.16. But it's the verse that follows that I have been impacted by so greatly. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Guess what? You are not the only person who wants to see that child, that friend, that co-worker come to faith in Jesus Christ. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some consider slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Are you getting the idea? My friends, with all the people that I've shared my faith with, only once 
have I had somebody say, Mork, whatever you got, I want. Believe it or not, those words came from a former co-worker of mine in Duluth. And his joy in life was to make my life miserable. He picked on me because I listened to Christian radio. He picked on me because I had a Bible on my desk. He picked on me because I wanted to go home after a day's work and be with my family rather than go with the boys to the local bar. But one day his wife contacted me and said, Dave, would you go see my husband? He's in the hospital with a diagnosis of cancer. And I've never forgotten this story because it it impacted me so greatly. That Monday night uh, after supper, about 8 o'clock, I went down to St. Mary's, Essentia, and I had my Bible underneath my arm, and I walked into his room, and before I could even make a greeting to him, before I could even begin a conversation, he looked at me and he said, Dave, whatever you got, I want. What made the difference? I think it's important for all of us to get this. But one of my favorite verses in the scripture is found in Acts 4.13. And it might be one of those nondescript verses, but to me it really speaks loudly. Acts chapter 4, verse 13 tells us this. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You know, Pastor Darrell mentioned a couple weeks ago and I was speaking to Dave before the service this morning, that one of the most frequent criticisms that he hears about the church is that those Christian people don't pay their bills. And you know, I come from a small-town banking family, and my father would probably have said the same thing. Saints, one of the most important parts of our witnesses is the way we live, how we walk, how we reflect Jesus. Remember what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14? You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is a little bit of a backwards question. But I want you to be thinking about this. Does the testimony that you give verbally and in your walk with Christ give testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do others see that you have spent time with Jesus? Husbands, do your wives see Jesus in the way that you treat them? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 tells us, Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wife as the weaker vessel. Honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Dads, do you provoke your children to anger? The Bible tells us through the, the pen of Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4, that we are to bring them up in the training and the nurture of the, and the admonition of the Lord. But wives, you don't get off easy either. How about you? Do you honor your husband? Do you allow him to be the spiritual leader that God has ordained for him? Did you leave and cleave when you got married? Do you forgive 
when forgiveness is necessary? You know, Billy Graham's wife, Ruth Bell Graham, once said that a good marriage is the union of two forgivers. And I think she was right about that. You see, for you married people out there this morning, whether you've been married for three months or 56 years, marriage was God's idea. And according to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, we see that marriage is the picture of Christ and his church, Christ and his bride. That's who we refer ourselves to. We are the bride of Christ. Our lives, our marriages, the way we conduct our affairs are testimonies of, a, of that new creation that happens once we become a follower of Jesus Christ. There's a story that I want to close with, and I suspect that many of you have heard it before. As I shared with Pastor Darrell, I think he smiled because he's maybe used this story, so forgive me a little bit, but it, it fits into what I've been trying to share with you this morning. It's a, a, a fictional story, but it goes like this. After Jesus ascended into heaven, Gabriel approached him and said, Master, you must have suffered terribly for men down there. I did, responded Jesus. And do you know all about how you loved them and, and what you did for them? Oh, no, replied Jesus. Not yet. Right now, only a handful of people in Palestine know. Gabriel was perplexed. Then what have you done to let everyone know about your love for them? And Jesus said, well, I've asked Peter and James and John and a few more friends to tell other people about me. Those who are told will then in turn tell other people, and my story will eventually spread to the farthest reaches of the globe. And ultimately, all of mankind will have heard about my life and what I have done. Gabriel frowned and looked rather skeptical. He knew what poor stuff men had been made from. But what if Peter and James and John grow weary? What if people who come after them forget? What if way down in the 21st century, people just don't tell others about you? Haven't you made other plans? Don't you have a plan B? And Jesus responded by saying, I have no other plans. I have no plan B. Friends, oftentimes in my morning prayer, I will ask God to place somebody in my path that I can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Sometimes my day goes by and I realize that I haven't been obedient to listen, as the song said we, that we sang just a couple minutes ago. Other times, God has had his way and lives have been changed. My question for you this morning is if you're going to heaven and if Jesus has given you the promise of salvation, do you know somebody out there right now that is holding out their hand and they're saying, take me with you. Take me with you because I love you. The Savior wants us to be connected to him and people will see your life and your faith if you live the life of a believer.
Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you today for the way you have prepared not only the worship team's music, but also challenged our hearts to be obedient. I think we've all realized at times how difficult it is to share in a world that seems to rather belittle Jesus Christ than to worship him and honor him. And so I pray for your Holy Spirit courage today. I pray that you will give us that opportunity, even today, that you would place somebody in our path that we could share the good news of Jesus Christ. And then, Father, we just step out of the way and let your Holy Spirit do its work. Almighty God, we thank you for the privilege of worship, and we thank you for the gift of, of eyesight so that we could read your word and, and, and we can hear the proclamation. And we pray for your church today that we not fail with your plan to evangelize the world. Grant us your peace as we leave this place and encourage our hearts, I pray, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.